KPFA and KPFB in Berkeley and KFCF in Fresno. And we're also online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned. Coming up right now, it's time for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. And today is the 20th of July, 2010. <laughs> we're, we're still here, folks. Yes, we have a... Uh, fundraiser next week. I haven't decided yet what I can do to help out with that. I, uh, I'll go through some of these titles. I, I think uh, this, um, this book, The Bridge by David Remnick, um, the morning show used it as a, uh, um, uh, you know, a gift for the, the last marathon. So I'm not sure how many copies we've got left, but, I definitely recommend it, especially if you are a school teacher. And let's see, here comes September. <clears throat> school is starting. Uh, some people say that we have too many biographies already of this remarkable man who is our president. I, I find uh, that most people I know, most of my pals are complaining because... <laughs> Because, of course, there was the, the inevitable disillusion when it turned out that the president could not um, uh, save us, that uh, we weren't going to have a utopian world the day after he was elected. But we know all that. We've been going through it now for for months and months. Uh, I think possibly uh, it's, what is it, uh, it's the same old lesson we have to learn over and over again about politics being the art of the possible. Remember Jimmy Carter? Remember Bill Clinton? Remember all these problems that Democrats have? Uh, I think if I remember correctly, four o'clock this morning, I heard that um, I guess we're going to get that unemployment money uh Golly, folks, you know, uh, is there anything that isn't wrong? <laughs> I made a list, yes. I, I think what left, what left me cold, let's see, the, the worst thing, the worst thing last night was the guy who tried to struggle, str smuggle in animals from uh, Peru, monkeys. He was trying to take them to Mexico. Guy had 18 monkeys. He put them, he stuffed them in socks and he carried them on his, uh, person and uh it would have been a hilariously funny story if two of the monkeys hadn't died suddenly i found myself giggling helplessly thinking that uh in my youth 
that would have been a funny story, of course, until we got to the dead monkeys. I I had a wonderful monkey. One's name was Tacloban, came from the Philippines. Uh, I loved her dearly. She was with me for years and years. Sometime around, what was I, in middle school. Uh, I loved that little creature. Anyway, uh, uh, it's been a... It's been a rough, been a rough week. Um, had a tragedy in my uh, neighborhood. Young man was fatally shot in a parked car right behind my apartment building. I uh, heard the six shots, and uh, neighbor came up, and we observed the the uh, incredible number of cops and uh, firemen, and you know, uh, I thought. How comic it was because the the um, the number of people who came after the fact, you know, after the tragedy, uh, you know, they spread around the the yellow tape and um, make a fuss. But uh, <laughs> it's incredible if they had just taken a little care before. You know how that is. Our sadistic culture. All those adult males standing around taking notes and, uh, oh, oh dear, the, the curious thing, what I found most moving was that the mother of the uh, young man who was fatally shot and killed was, um, is one of the people who works as a caretaker for the in-home support services. Uh, the, uh, the group across the street from me, the Arneville folks, uh, they were also moved when they found this out. There was a, uh activist on the morning show yesterday, Jean. She talked to Philip Maldry, and she pointed out that this was so ironic because uh, the boy's mother was a caregiver, caretaker, and uh, she was uh, in the... Uh, in the place, the the on the curb, there's still sitting. It's too too heartbreaking to talk about. Uh, there's a handful of flowers left there, and uh, uh, small offerings for um, this boy. The uh, the woman Jean, the one from Arneville, she said that she heard the car speeding away. I heard something along those lines, but. All I remember registering was the fact that uh, uh, scores of adult males with guns at their hips came uh, came down like the cavalry after the fact, after it was too late, too late. Uh, the story about Arneville is interesting. Most of us remember the Hoovervilles of the last depression. And there's some hope that maybe our Arneville is an idea whose time has come. And that these, uh, these, um, what is it, protest camps might, uh, might flower all over the state. What a nice idea. Uh, I sat on my back balcony shrouded by my big trees, my beautiful trees in the beautiful summer afternoon, Friday afternoon after this uh, horrendous event and uh, uh, later that night there were mourners and candles and the the uh, 
the flowers and so forth. And I thought, uh, well, I tried to write, <laughs> I tried to write a letter to Arnie. Yes. His wife, Maria, is probably a better person to write to. Uh, they're the world's ideal, uh, bourgeois couple, friendly fascists, you know, uh, Arnie's the kind of guy who thinks that, um, women who are having difficulty should just get husbands right, you know, the sort of thing. He seems to think that disabled people, uh, you know, can simply go home to their families, you know, and be taken care of. He, he simply, he just doesn't get it. I, I always tell the same old story about Eleanor Roosevelt during the First Great Depression or our depression back in the 1930s when, uh, her husband, Franklin Roosevelt, said that in order to cope with the economic situation, they should um, set an example by cutting their uh, cutting the wages of the White House staff by 20 percent. And that was fine until one of the workers in the kitchen, a um, woman of color who uh, lived in Washington, D.C., but not at the White House. She came to Mrs. Roosevelt and she explained that she would not be able to afford transportation if the 20% cut went through. And Mrs. Roosevelt finally understood what it means to hit bottom, that is, you know, to have no resources at all. Uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, I think it's a lack of imagination. It's. Uh, it seems that Congress people have to um, go and sleep with the homeless. They have to experience these things firsthand before they can grasp what it means to have no resources whatsoever. Those of us who have done the single mom bit know the terror of those fears. Uh, it's disabling is all I can say if there's nothing physically wrong with you when... Uh, when you do become, what, indigent or broke, believe me, there will be soon. Uh, it's not the sort of thing that um, you get over. I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember the citizens uh, who tried to share their plight with the community, uh, not, just who, not just in Hoovervilles, but the street people, here in Berkeley back in the 60s and 70s. And then everyone had, well, there was a, a something developed called compassion fatigue. You may remember that. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, um, all of these so-called liberals uh, toughened up and, oh, they just said, well, they, they didn't want to be depressed. And uh, I guess, I just don't know... Uh, the the obvious uh, the obvious result when violence erupts and people look around and you know they're looking for someone to blame uh, they don't seem to be able to what um, you know <laughs> connect the dots I I feel like so many other old folks uh, I was saying to myself over and over again how it used to be that uh, especially the young men, they could fight with their fists, that uh, it was these horrific guns, I said to myself. And then I thought again, uh, men have used guns ever since they invented the damn things. Sooner or later, the worst thing always happens. Uh, 
if we don't take care of the young people, uh, then we can we can uh, expect things to go to the devil. Uh, I guess I don't know. I keep thinking that the money men understand these things and that they will uh, at least come through. You know, uh, they will see to it that there is subsistence. You know, unemployment insurance. They recognize the fact that if people are left without any resources, well, they will turn to crime. Uh, who wouldn't? Um, I don't know what it takes to get through to them. I mean, even even Nixon used to give money to the arts, yes. I'm not sure. I think that uh, this sadistic streak that has developed over the last decade or two, I, of course, dated from Ronald Reagan in 1980, uh, this notion that it's better to punish the punks, you know, that that will, uh, that will give us peace. Yes, the law and order, boys. Uh, I don't know where this mean-spirited uh, psychology begins. I assume it begins in childhood. Uh, only affection helps uh Someone said, yes, it's care, not incarceration, that will make things change. But it's no use talking. All of us just talk and talk and talk. Uh, our species simply hasn't been able to learn, uh, evolve. We haven't learned how to love, how to empathize, uh, this season, the struggle is grim. I call it Feminist 5, Fascist 9, at least on my street. Uh, but by the time folks are wise enough to understand, it's always too late to matter. Uh, I was educated, actually, by my students in the public schools back in Oakland years and years ago in the 60s and 70s. I was the typical English major. <laughs> I, I needed more history, right? I was only a history minor, but I got history uh, yeah, right in the teeth back in 1969. And then uh, I had a couple years at Huey Newton's old school. Ah, the follies of the compassionate, the people who rushed in to help and were disabled for life. I remember that at Castlemont High School. Of course, my students thought I was naive. I get such a kick out of the book I'm reading about Barack Obama, how uh, Barack himself <laughs> stereotypes his own mom, thinking she was naive. You remember Barack's mom was a, a romantic white lady. She brought home movies and books and films, Mahalia Jackson and Paul Robeson. I remember doing the same thing for my students at Woodrow Wilson in Oakland. And they all laughed and said, you know, silly white lady, trying to tell us how black people live as if we didn't know. Ah, Roosevelt Brown would say, you want to see how black people live? Come to my house. And I told him that I had all these riches and all this uh, information, you know, that would help him in his life. And he said, listen, lady, he said, just what can you give me? Tell me what, you know, what can you give me with your masters and Gertrude Stein or something? Anyway, 
Uh, finally, I said, well, here's the rest of my lunch money. 82 cents, I think it was. Well, he said, that's a start. <laughs> the thing that I learned most of all was the incredible sense of humor that people have uh, when they've been taking it uh, taking it in the teeth all their lives. Uh, and, of course, there was nothing that I could give them, uh, nothing really. Uh, caregivers, indeed, caregivers. Those of us who are so presumptuous as to think that we have something that young people need. What is it Toni Morrison says in her great Nobel speech? You know, she asks, uh, she has a, a wonderful speech in which she speaks for the children. She says the children uh, ask us to tell the truth, you know, tell us our life in the street. What is it she says? Tell us what it is to be a woman so that we may know what it is to be a man. Uh, tell the truth, even if your words are inadequate, you know, if you go down in flames, so what? Uh, show up and tell the truth. <laughs> I was going to finish The Little Mermaid today, but I can't take it. I I uh, started screaming when I realized that the uh, the gulf, the ocean, it's not fixed, folks. It's not fixed. It's true. We hit an artery. That problem isn't going to be solved, and the problem will become a condition. And uh, I was counting the other uh, oil wells out there. Uh, obviously, we must head north, yes, head north, uh, get out of Louisiana anyway. Let me read you a few little bits of uh, the bridge all about Barack Obama. My friends who keep telling me that he's dropped the ball, I keep telling them that uh, actually the ship of state, you know, the ship of state, the Titanic, yes, was uh, it hit the iceberg before uh, Barack became the uh, the captain of the ship. It's not uh, a mess that he made. However, more and more he will have to take the blame. Uh, I watched. Hillary Clinton trying to make excuses for us. I uh, I made a note, I think, here. Yes, uh, the first thing I will do is send her a postcard and tell her that the new hairdo is completely off. Uh, <laughs> she's got a she got a little a little Dutch boy kind of uh, curl to the bottom of her hair. Well, it won't do. It won't do, Hillary. Anyway. Uh, let me read you a little bit about Barack when he was a, a kid. Uh, I just think he's so, what's the word, uh, typical, typical American guy. Uh, and his mother, even, uh, you know, uh, uh, before she died, she was wise enough to say that uh, he was, uh, when, when he wrote his biography, his autobiography, uh, he characterized her as a romantic and he didn't think she, well, <laughs> she didn't protest. She was very nice about the book. But um, I think she realized that he needed to believe that she was a little innocent. Uh, you remember the stories about uh, going to the movies with her daughter Maya and Barack. And Barack thinking that she was being uh, uh, starry-eyed 
about the lives of black people. Uh, anyway, Barack was born August the 4th, 1961. Uh, in Honolulu, not far from Waikiki, the birth certificate lists his mother's race as Caucasian. His father's race is listed as African. <laughs> and Dunham, his mom, dropped out of school to care for her infant son. She had never expected to be in such a traditionally domestic spot so soon. Home alone with Barack Jr. while Barack Sr. was in class, studying at the library and out drinking with his friends. Her friends don't recall her being resentful or depressed. As a young mother and later, too, when she matured into an accomplished anthropologist based in Indonesia and other countries, and was a take-life-as-it-comes optimist. The last thing on her mind was what people might say as they saw her, a white woman, walking down the street <coughs> holding a black child. Alice Dewey, an anthropologist at the university who became Ann Dunham's academic mentor and one of her closest friends, said... They say she was so unusual, but growing up in Hawaii, it doesn't seem that unusual. Didn't didn't seem anything different. She would have married an African. That's not breaking rules in Hawaii. It didn't seem totally strange. If she'd been growing up in Kansas, it would have been mind-boggling. In Hawaii, there's that mixture, a meeting point of different cultures. Okay, that's one of the secrets here. Remember, another spot in the book. Michelle Obama says that when when Barack told her about being uh, a little boy in Hawaii, she uh, she was from Southside Chicago. She thought Hawaii was where you went on vacation. You know, rich white folks went to Hawaii for vacation. That's what I thought too. Anyway, in 1962, Obama Sr. graduated from the University of Hawaii, Phi Beta Kappa. He had a choice between staying in Hawaii for graduate school or going to graduate school at the new school in New York on a full scholarship with a stipend capable of supporting the three of them. Take his wife and child with him, yes. Or he could go to Harvard. Okay, here I put a big star. This is where the, the father's choice changes all their lives forever. For him, the choice was easy. How can I refuse the best education? Ambition always came before anything else, particularly before women and children. He informed Anne that he was going to Cambridge to be a graduate student in econometrics. The Honolulu advertiser marked his departure in late June. Without mentioning Anne or Barack Jr., Obama Sr. promised his wife that he would retrieve the family when the time was right. But he was no more truthful about that than he had been about his first marriage. You remember he was married um, before he came to uh, the United States. He was, uh, well, his first wife he left behind in Kenya. And he went to the University of Hawaii with the financial help of 
two nice white ladies from Palo Alto. Aha! <laughs> it's all true, folks. Uh, well, uh, Ann Dunham's father, Stanley, was disappointed that Barack had left his daughter. But he was not too disappointed. He figured that the marriage was going to fall, well, fail anyway, sooner or later. So might as well not go on so long that it would hurt little Barry. That's what they called him then, little Barry. If he was going to play the father figure in the boy's life, he felt he might as well start. <laughs> That's the, yes, I was thinking of the other spot in this bio, the... Uh, the grandfather, Stanley, Anne's dad, uh, he had a hard time when Barack Sr. came to visit ten years later and uh, was overbearing and authoritarian. He only stayed ten days. It was the only time Barack Obama ever had time to spend with his dad. And, of course, yes, his dad told him not to watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas and criticized him for his scholarly... Uh, limitations anyway uh i don't know why it's so funny to me that what is it that all of the all of the stereotypical things men and women here and dunham trying to keep peace between her father and her uh, husband yes what else could she do uh she's a blooming saint you know i i uh I do like the bits in this book, in this biography, that point out that uh, in spite of all that, she had fun. She was never, never a sourpuss or a victim or any of the things that we associate with uh, the sort of women who have husbands who don't, um, don't, <laughs> don't come through for them. Uh, anyway, that fall, Anne Dunham took the baby and... Uh, visited Cambridge briefly, but the trip was a failure. She returned to Hawaii. Barack Sr. did not see Anne or their son again for nearly a decade. He did not advertise the fact that he had a family in Hawaii. He used to meet a friend uh, in New York at the West End Bar near Columbia. They talked about everything uh and this friend says the one thing Obama never talked about was his family. I didn't even know he was married. I never knew he had a son. Not then, anyway. Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know. I, I just kept thinking when I read this of Dick Gregory's book. The title of the book uses the N-word, you remember. He says, and he used to say, tell his mom, you know. If you hear that word, Mom, you'll know they're advertising my book. But Dick Gregory writes about his own father who um, came by a few times to bring a present, but basically deserted, abandoned his mother and all his siblings. And Dick Gregory writes, um, <clears throat> runaway, yes, runaway fathers will inherit the wind. Anyway, um, as we know, uh, Barack Obama Sr. went back to Kenya where he tried to uh, tried to save his country, but um, he made the wrong political choices. And uh, it looks to me like alcohol was the was the uh, the thing that did him in. Nice 
Never mind. Uh, a 20-year-old single mom. She's now the mother of the man who's going to be the president of the United States, who's going to determine the fates uh, of a great many people in this country. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, what is that? Uh, the seeds that are sown and the harvest of which has now come to us. I'll be back on the air, not this Thursday, let's see, not next uh, Tuesday. We'll see. Till next time, go easy. This has been Jennifer Stone, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Oakland Base Urban Gardens, Oba, invites you to join us for our third annual Art and Garden Tour. Guests will embark on a lively journey through a West Oakland Children's Garden and exclusive Architects Gardens. Don't miss the opportunity to enjoy live music while discovering spectacular gardens with amazing views. All proceeds will benefit OBUG's programs providing urban gardening to West Oakland kids. Please join us from 1 p.m. through 6 p.m. on Saturday, July 24th to support sustainable communities. Tickets are available online through brownpapertickets.com or call 510-465-4660. We hope to see you there. It is 3.30. You're listening to KPFA and KPFB in Berkeley and KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. Please stay 